So last week, um, the Lord had me to present the thought process around what it means to come to know him and to, and to be saved. But the context that we would typically use is, hey, you know, you're a sinner, and be- because you're a sinner, you're separated from God, and because you're separated from God, when you die, you're going to go to hell. Let me tell you a little bit about hell. Let me tell you a little bit about heaven. Do you really want to go to hell? No, I don't want to go to hell. Do you want your sins forgiven? Yes. Okay, well, Jesus died so you could have your sins forgiven. But when we, when we position the gospel as being primarily about getting your sins forgiven and going to heaven instead of hell, then nothing else really in somebody's mind starts until they die. But that's not the way the scriptures read. So the better way might be to, to make that, have that same conversation, but let the choice be, which kingdom do you want to live in? Do you want to live in the kingdom of the world or do you want to live in the kingdom of God? Because they're absolutely opposite of each other. There's nothing about God's kingdom that equals the world's kingdom. And the decision you should make is to understand the difference in those two kingdoms and then decide where you want to live. Because then you will repent of your sin and actually repent because that's how you live in God's kingdom. But what we have is a lot of people in the church that are excited about God's kingdom for the heaven part, but they could care less about God's kingdom for the now part. And the witness is rotten. They don't look like Jesus. They don't live like Jesus. They're, they're, they're not at all how they're supposed to be. They're not salt. They're not light because they think that they somehow can have the world and have King Jesus at the same time. And the scriptures pretty clearly teach that you can't. So now... I'm going to talk about what it means to be a disciple. There's, good, there's three words. I haven't studied this any further than just to think about it. So there might be four words or five words or ten words, but the three, unless God gives me more, that we're going to speak to in this context that describe the church, three words that describe a believer, somebody who's born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside of them, three words that describe them. The first one is disciple. That's the one we're going to talk about right now. It's kind of the one we've been talking about. Second one we're going to talk about is saint. So the Bible describes us as disciples, and it describes us as saints. And the third one that it describes, are they getting taller? (laughs) The third one it describes us as as sons and daughters. And um, so we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a disciple. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be a saint, because it, it, it gives a different picture. And then what does it mean to be a son or a daughter of God? Okay? That's what's coming, and more, lots more. All right, so today is about disciple, and, and I, I, I didn't shorten it. I mean, I, I don't think I would have gotten through much more than this anyway, but the Gospels speak powerfully to what it means to be a disciple. <clears throat> All the Gospels do, and there are parallels in the Gospels. So I can't think of a way to do this without being a little bit redundant as we do it, but I think it's okay to be redundant because the scriptures are redundant. And I think because it's such a strong message, it's going to need to be repeated. You said that last week. I know I'm saying it again this week. Okay, but you said that the last two weeks. I know I'm saying it this week too. How come? Because you've got to really get it. You can't think that I'm saved and I've, and I've arrived until I walk up to the pearly gates and I go in and enjoy eternity with God. No, you've started when you got saved. And then this explains to you what now looks like. Amen? Okay, so today, disciple from the scriptures, I'm going to um, read the 
Great Commission out of Matthew, and then we're just going to read from Matthew chapter 10, and that's all for today. It's not going to feel like a that's all, but that's all for today. Okay, so in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus, just before he ascends to the right hand of the Father, just before he leaves, he's, he's speaking to them, giving instructions. It reads like this, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and, lo, I am with you always. To the end of the age. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Sorry, I did that from memory, and I had it right here. The point that I want to make out of the Great Commission is this is is our Lord, our King, our Master, instructing his church, his body, on what to do once he's gone. And what he said to do is go make disciples of all the nations. He said to baptize them. And he said to teach them to observe all that he commands. So we would be about making disciples, right? That's why the the outside of Sunday morning thing that I do is Bible studies. We sit and we read the Bible together. Together. We sit and we read the Bible together. We sit and we read the Bible together because I think that's the very best way to make disciples is to ask God what he's saying, read it, and then do it. If you don't know the Bible, you can't be a disciple because you don't know what it means to follow Jesus because you don't know where he's going. So if we're to make disciples, what would be the logical other thing that we would know about us? We're to be disciples, right? So, so you can't take this, and I know that seems stupid, but We can't take a mindset of making disciples unless we actually are surrendered to being disciples. And and, and if you haven't read these scriptures, then you don't understand why I'm being so weird about this. But if you read the scriptures, it's going to challenge your flesh big time. All right, so today's objectives. First, to clearly understand how scripture describes the call to discipleship. So it'll be clear, trust me. And then it'll be clear next week and maybe even the next week some more. But we want to understand. We don't want to be deceived as to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then the second thing is to stand in the mirror with those scriptures and and evaluate ourselves. Am I truly walking as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Not the way the world tells me, not the way church people tell me, but the way the scriptures tell me. And and, and then the, the answer has to be, if I'm not, I will. And, and probably the answer is going to be, oh, look, in this area of my life, I'm, I'm a, just a wonderful disciple of Jesus. Not so much over here this part needs to come into agreement with Jesus Christ. That's why that song we sang last week about um, make me whatever you want me to be, you know, you're plowing new ground. I mean, that's discipleship stuff. It's big time. It's the, it's the soil of our being. Is it going to grow weeds and thorns or is it going to grow um, and be fruitful unto the Lord and his kingdom? Okay, so let's just go to the scriptures. I, I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 40. And I would encourage you to, during the course of this week, read Matthew chapter 10. Really, the whole chapter, the preview brings you up to this, but 24 through 40 is the meat of the discipleship scriptures in in chapter 10. I'm going to break them into chunks. Okay, so the first chunk. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? So there's a great summary of what it means to be a disciple, right? right in that very first statement. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. And I won't go deep into this because I did a couple of weeks ago talk about this, but the idea specifically here is, listen, if you're going to be my disciple, 
people aren't going to like it. And you need to get yourself prepared for that. If they're going to call me Beelzebul, they're going to call you Beelzebul. If they're going to mock me, they're going to mock you. But there's a bigger principle here that I think we need to understand, and that's this. A teacher cannot be above a teacher, student. A student cannot be above his teacher. And the implication in that regard is this. Teacher says A. Student says not A. Put yourself above Teacher says, this is what it means to follow me. Student says, no, but God understands because he knows my heart. The point is that, that everything that we do and everything that we speak can, can come up to the point of absolute agreement with our teacher, but it cannot exceed our teacher. We can't have um, a teaching that disagrees with our teacher. We can't put ourselves above our teacher. And, and that day where I talked about what do you believe, and we, and we talked about those, those uh, interesting things that people say about it's okay, um, I know it's sin, but God knows my heart. It's like, well, no, it's not okay because you've placed yourself above the teacher. Now you have a teaching that says that something that he denies is okay for you, and you've placed yourself above the teacher. So that's an important, important, it's a really important point that you need to get, you rascals. <laughs> that's an important one. The best that we should hope for, and we should hope for it, is to be like our teacher, to be a slave that's like his master who speaks the words that his master speaks, and who acts and walks as his master walks. <sighs> Moving on. Therefore, do not fear them. because This is the primary context of that. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. I'm thinking about you. Got to see a miracle. And God told you. That's and we proclaimed it from, you know, this little housetop right here. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So the gospel is offensive, when, when um, I would tell Ashley, no, this is how we live, but her flesh wants to live a different way, it's offensive to her because it's, it's, it's offending her sensibilities. When you talk to somebody about repentance unto God and faith on Jesus Christ, if, they, if their heart is not being turned you know, by God, by his spirit, by the anointing that's present, then it's going to offend them because what you're telling them is counter to their fallen nature and it's counter to the world that they live in and it's counter to everything that they've kind of uh, envisioned that their life could be. All the pleasures, all the joy, all the stuff rooted in things that are not pleasurable to God at all. So the, the gospel itself is offensive. If, if they ridiculed and persecuted Jesus, if we truly are salt and light, they will ridicule and they will persecute us. They'll make fun of us. You're silly. Francis Chan, right? You... you are, are sacrificing the whole white end of the rope for a tiny little slice of this red end of the rope. And they're like, well, you're crazy because you sold your house and gave your money to feed hungry people. Now you don't even have a big fancy house anymore. He says, no, you're crazy. Because the wisdom of what he did is eternal. The wisdom of what they did will be done when they get on the plane and come back from wherever their vacation was. Above the teacher, amen, yep. The disciple, the true disciple, might actually die 
for Jesus and for the gospel. Literally give up this physical, natural life and, and leave real things to love. Leave family, leave who knows what, and die. But Jesus says, listen, they're going to ridicule you, but the fear of their ridicule, the fear of their persecution, the fear of them actually martyring you should, should scare you this much compared to the fear of not humbling yourself before the one who can kill not only your body, but your soul eternally into hell. So that's the fear that we ought to have. We have a, a very reverent fear that God means what he says and that if somebody is going to cause us to challenge us to deny him or affirm him, that we understand the consequences of what that means and that we are firmly planted today. We make that decision today so that when the testing comes... See, that's why I've been praying for a week after Ashley told me she's leaving. I'm like, how are you going to get there? He's coming to get me. Well, all right. My first thought wasn't to tell him that I'm going to love him, you know, and thinking my wife's going to give him a hug. Honestly, my first thought was I'm going to put my hand around his neck. I'm going to push him up against the wall. I'm going to look straight into his eyes. You really want to put her in your car? Which, you know, stupid, but that was my flesh thinking. And so I had to prepare myself by praying, Lord, I don't know what to do. And then he gives me the scripture, and now I do know what to do. I just don't know how to do it. But because I humbled myself, when I said, Lord, I just want to do whatever it is you want me to do, then grace comes. And now I know I'm going to be okay because I don't have to know what to do. Grace will guide me towards what to do. He speaks to that fear in the next verses, uh, starting in verse 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. So, so then what does it mean to confess Jesus? I confessed Jesus before that young man yesterday. I confessed him with my lips, and I confessed him with my actions. See, a person that would confess Jesus with their lips and not with their actions is a hypocrite, is double-minded, is, is probably, you know, in the absence of somebody who's just in a tough spot and they made a mistake, that's different. But somebody who would actually speak one way but live a different way is a whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. You know, when nobody's looking, this is how I am. When somebody's looking, this is how I am. So it's important that we understand that, that the confession of Jesus is more than just speaking. Jesus said to the Pharisees, uh, these are people that honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's easy to honor with the lips. It's tough to honor with the heart because that's when you're tested in the situations where the world's wisdom is what you want to do, but the kingdom wisdom is what you need to do to glorify God and to bring his grace into your life. 1 John chapter 2, you won't have these scriptures up there. I'm just going to blast through these. 1 John chapter 2, 5 and 6. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Romans 10, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. The confession is Jesus is Lord. The walk is actually letting him be Lord. Luke six forty six. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So, so the spoken confession is nice, but it means nothing to Jesus if it's not followed by the walking confession. To confess is more than words. Words without equivalent lifestyle are hollow and have no meaning. To confess is to walk the walk. Okay? It's, more than, it's more than mouth. Every day we must ask ourselves and the Lord, is there anything in my life that needs to come under 
his lordship. Anything that's not under your lordship, Jesus, show it to me. And then what will happen, I have this experience, lots, is that for me at least, at first it's like, oh, I don't want to give that up. But the minute, the minute that I say, yes, Lord, I recognize it. That isn't your will. That's me, my flesh. That's the world. Then grace comes. And you hear me pounding on grace, but grace is the only way that anything in the kingdom gets done through us is by God's grace. It's a, it's a function of the anointing. So understand that if you will humble yourselves every single day and you will ask the Lord, Lord, what, what inside of me is not pleasing to you? What part of my life, of my thinking, Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's jealousy. I'm not talking just about these, you know, adultery kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's things of the heart as much as it's things of the do. If you'll ask the Lord, and when he shows you, and then you say, yes, Lord, and then I, I, I confess that's true, and I ask that you please deliver me from that, and he will because he wants you to be just like King Jesus. Continuing on, verse 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not. This is Jesus speaking now. This is a big one. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring pre. (laughs) He said it better than me. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the member of his household. So Jesus is not about families. He's not about marriages. He's not about parents loving their children and children loving their parents because it says right here that he came to separate. But he didn't come to separate. He came to separate anything that would be contrary to the truth that he's bringing. So he says, I didn't come to bring peace between you, Pat Brady, and Ashley Brady. I came to bring a sword. And you decide where that sword's going to fall. Ashley wants to have a life different than what I've given you. And my heart breaks for Ashley. I mean, I really, really love Ashley. I have spent, I can't even tell you the countless hours listening to Ashley, talking to Ashley, you know, trying to counsel her in truth. And, and she listens and she doesn't and she listens and she doesn't. She's no different than most of us in a lot of ways. The point is, what God says to me is, you love Ashley, Will you put the sword between yourself and Jesus so that you can please Ashley and you can keep that relationship? Daddy, I love you. Hold my arm when we walk in the store. Or do you put the sword between yourself and Ashley and you draw the line that you walk with me. You go where I go. If they don't want to go where I'm going, then you put the sword. If you don't want to, Jesus said, I came with the sword. You can follow me. You can be my disciple. You can obey all that I've commanded you. You can walk with me. You can glorify me. You can glorify my Father. You can bring about great change on this earth, many souls being brought into the kingdom. But if you want the world, I brought a sword. Whack. You're on the other side of my sword. And that's what he's saying, and that's what we have to understand. He didn't come to bring peace between us and the world. He came to bring a sword. And anything that we want and desire, not that he's not gracious, right, He is gracious, and and he understands because he's overcome everything that we struggle with. But at the end of the day, commitment, uh, discipleship is about commitment. I mean, it's literally about making a commitment, making a decision. Remember I told you the other day I'm crying like a little girl. I I don't know what it's going to take, but because I I told God I would do it. He challenged me. He challenged me to my face, and I didn't know what it was going to take. I didn't know what I was going to have to take out of my life that I really don't want to take out of my life. But I made a commitment. 
And when I made the commitment, the grace came. And that's, that's what he's telling all of us. It's like, listen, don't worry about how you're going to do it. Worry about whether you're actually committed to Jesus as a disciple or not. And then the power of God, through the Spirit of God, will bring about the changes that you're actually truly committed to. He says the same thing in Luke chapter 12. He says, in different words, but do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. Peace with him, peace with the Father, right? Ministry of reconciliation. You can have peace with God or you can have the world. But he didn't come so that we could have both. Because the, the thinking of the world is, is what keeps us away from God. There's no way that he died. He's going to uh, resurrect us in him so that we can do all the things that are so hateful to him without some sense of commitment that we're going to cut it out. <laughs> the, the, the biggest place where that sword has to fall is between me and myself, right? I'm two people. I'm this new creature in Christ, born again, and I'm this fleshly guy who just won't die that has to be nailed to the cross every single day and denied. And that's the biggest place where the sword has to come down between me and myself. Who is it that is going to, who am I going to serve? Am I going to serve my flesh or am I going to serve the Lord? Put that sword in there and tell that flesh, sorry, I'm going to pick up my cross every day and nail you to it. Nail you to it, nail you to it until the time of going to be with God and then we don't have to drag that dead thing around with us anymore. He continues on in verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is Jesus speaking. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. You see the consistent pattern through the words. I'm gonna, the, the keeping and losing of, of this life is all through the rest. So I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on there, but let's talk about worthiness because the church doesn't like to talk in terms of worthiness, right? I mean, we, we have this, this humble Jesus and he just loves us and he came and died for us and, and he's just so wonderful. But he's not just the Lamb of God, he's also the Lion of Judah. And, and he is who he is and he is unflinching in his truth. So when he says unworthy, he means unworthy. And it, it's interesting, I, I just searched on the word worthy outside of the Gospels in the New Testament. Let me just give you some examples of what he's saying. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're instructed to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. In Philippians chapter 1, we are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, we're to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That's a, that's a big one right there, right? If we're going to come into his kingdom, we need to walk as subjects of our king in a worthy manner, worthy of what he's done for us, worthy of the kingdom that he's made available to us. And then this one here, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 4. This is, this is Jesus when he's writing like a report card to these seven churches, dictating it to the apostle John in the spirit. To the, uh, excuse me, but you, to the church at Sardis, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So big old church, who knows how big it is in 
Sardis, and a bunch of them have, have I want to say crap their pants. I, I know you can't say that in church, but, but they're, they've lived their lives in such a way that they, they got dirty diapers. Their, their, their outfit is stained and messy. And he says, but some of you, some of you have been true disciples. You've held to my word. You've disciplined yourself after my teachings, and you are worthy to walk with me in righteousness. Does it mean that you can't ever, you know, soil your diaper and be okay with Jesus? Absolutely, it doesn't mean that. It means that your sincere commitment has to be true. That when you said, Jesus, you shall be the Lord of my life, that you actually meant it. And then as you're growing in Christ and you're confronted with those things that are contrary to his will, you're saying no to them. Oh, but that time I stumbled. Okay, there's a provision for that. Confess your sins and God is righteous and just to forgive you of that sin, cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But, but if you think that because of what Jesus did for you, you can do what Jude says. is like these brothers that came in and, and they're telling the church, they're, they're, they're teaching licentiousness. Because of the grace of God, you have a license to do whatever you want. You need to go back to Galatians where it says God will not be mocked. There is no mocking of God. The person who thinks he has a license to sin is mocking God and deceiving himself. So in Sardis, what he's saying is, listen, those of you that have not soiled yourself, it's not that you were perfect, but you really had your heart turned towards me. You were careful to walk in the light as I am in the light, and you stumbled. You confessed it. My Father forgave you, cleansed you of, changed your diaper, so to speak, cleansed you up, and you are worthy. See, there's a worthiness that someone has to have in order to be a Christian. You bring nothing to the table of your salvation. There is no goodness that you bring that makes you okay to be with God eternally in heaven. You have no righteousness. It's gone. It was, you were born in sin, out of righteousness. Nothing you can do. The only righteousness that will bring you into an eternal relationship or even a now relationship with God is the very imputed righteousness of Jesus himself. But there's a worthiness to the calling that ought to be seen in your life as a result of what's happened inside of you. If the only one who manifests in your life is the dead flesh guy, he's probably the only guy that's in your life. If you're wrestling and battling with that guy, then that's a pretty good sign that you're a Christian and you're putting him down and you're putting him down. But, oh, man, I just want to wring that guy's neck. But, but that doesn't bring God's glory and that doesn't bring God's grace. You see, if I go wring that guy's neck, I might put a little fear in him, but God's not participating in that. And if God's not participating in that, then then the glory, the grace that he wants to flow isn't just for me to be able to get through it. It's so that his grace can touch that guy and his grace can touch my daughter and that he can begin to operate because that messes with people. It says, I think it's in the same scriptures in Romans 12. I I might be mixing, but but the statement is correct. He says that by doing so, you keep burning coals on their heads. And and you can look at the cultural implications of what that all meant, but what it means is you, you wreck their conscience. Because a guy who takes, uh, my daughter, other than she got in the weird program at the inner senior year, she should be in class tomorrow morning, not waking up in some place with some 23-year-old guy. She should be in high school. But when we do what God says, then he works in their conscience to do what's right. It's going to bug him now. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'm not looking for any vengeance. I, I want to see that guy in heaven. I want to see Ashley Hope 
in a safe place, and I want to see her in heaven. I want to see the friend from the orphanage. I want to see him walking with glorifying, serving the Lord, and ultimately in heaven. But if I'm not going to be him towards them, then he's not going to be him towards them because how's God getting his work done? Through his son. And how's he doing it? Through his body. But not when his body doesn't act like his son. I just close with this. Worthiness in all these scriptures is never in terms of the imputed righteousness of Christ. Worthiness is always in terms of our conduct, of our walk, of our behavior, of how we live our lives. And that's the way we have to live our lives. We have to live our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. More to come next week. We didn't touch on you know, the depth of what it means to deny yourself. We didn't touch on the depth of what it means to, to have this life or lose this life so that you can have that life. But at the end of the day, it's, it's about our confession of our lips also being the sincere and holy confession of our lives. Amen? Amen. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all these folks that came on you know, one, of the, one of the highest holidays that we have to honor and respect.